we are picking back up in Genesis chapter 15. And uh, we finished off last time in verse 6. And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it doesn't tell us how that happened. You know, it doesn't necessarily say he prayed a sinner's prayer or he got his name, uh, you know, written in the church uh, roster or anything. The, the actual, and he believed, it's actually one word in the Hebrew, aman, A-M-A-N. Not the A-M-E-N, that's also a, a, a word, but they virtually mean the same, A-M-A-N, which means it's, I believe it, I trust in it, I, it's, I confirm what you just said, God, I confirm it, amen. So God said, look at the stars of the heaven, that's how many children you're going to have in number, and, and something that was impossible with man, because at this time we are going to learn that Abraham's 86 and his wife is 75, and just the natural bearing years are gone, even for these guys. And, um, and he knew it's, it's, it's a God-sized thing, only God can do, man can't do it. But God said he can do it, and I believe he can do the impossible. And even though we're old, God said we're going to have as many descendants as the stars of the heavens. I, I just believe that the impossible is possible with God. And that's all he knew at this time. It, it, we call it a progressive revelation. So the more light a person has, the more light God's going to hold them accountable for having. And of course, today we have all the light there is. All the light God's going to give man, he's given to man. We have a final book of Revelation that says, this is it. The revelation is done. It's over. And this is all that man's going to get. And of course, it says the word of God will go to the four corners of the earth. And of course, we never saw the internet and all that coming when the Lord spoke that stuff. Uh, couldn't even imagine that. Um, you know, what, 30 years ago even, couldn't really imagine it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's everywhere. The word of God is there. And, um, and so we believe today as uh, the salvation that and the righteousness that God would bring Abraham would come in the cross. And so a lot of times when they speak in the Old Testament and God declared Abraham righteous, we know that the Lord was looking in the cross. Abraham would be made righteous. Just like now, when a person believes, the Lord is saying, I know you're referring to what I did on the cross 2,000 years ago in the past. And again, uh, the Bible's quite clear on this. Remember when there, Jesus told the story, it's not a parable, because there was a guy's name Lazarus and, and the rich man. Remember that story where um, the rich man dies and he goes into Sheol and there's two compartments there, one for the holding of the wicked and one for the holding of the righteous. But the holding place, which is not the bosom of Abraham, that's what it's called, the bosom of Abraham. Jesus on the cross called it paradise. But it makes sense because Abraham was the first to believe and the Lord accounted his faith as righteousness. And so if you would, he's the first guy down there in Sheol by himself. Hey, I'll just name this place after myself here. He was the first one and then others joined him after the fact. 
And so it's sort of like Abraham's down there, the first guy who was declared righteous by faith, and, and the numbers started growing, and this poor guy Lazarus was there. And, and evidently, the, 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 the chasm between the two sides can be identified and seen. And the guy shouts out, Father Abraham, I'm one of your kids, you know? And uh, would you get Lazarus to put just a little bit of water on his finger and just one drop on my tongue? That would just make this place a whole lot better. And he said, no, there's a chasm between us. It can't be crossed. Lazarus in his whole lifetime suffered. And now for eternity, he's going to be comforted. You and your whole lifetime was comforted. And now for eternity, you will suffer. And so... Um, Jesus, when he went down into the belly of the earth and he preached the gospel for three days and three nights, we do know the people on the side of Hades could hear what was going on over in the bosom of Abraham or paradise. So some believe that those who believed at that moment um, were also saved, even though they were in the holding place. Now, the holding place of the wicked is still very much there, Hades, but the holding place of the righteous bosom of Abraham, that's now... Um, been vacated. Now to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, no holding places. And uh, even though the Catholic says there's purgatory, there is no purgatory. There's only a place called Hades for the wicked. But he believed. That's all he knew at this point is that what God says, no matter how incredibly impossible it is, it's not hard for God. It's not impossible with God. That's, that's all he knew about God, didn't know much more than that. And God said, I'm going to count in your faith as righteousness. That's, that, just, that just really strikes me heavy, that he is saying that is the faith in God that one day people are going to have once the Messiah dies and raises again. They'll have that faith in the Messiah and I recognize that faith, and I'm going to account it to you as I am going to be in those in the future unto righteousness. Well, in verse 7, then he said to him, I am the Lord, the capital L, capital O, capital R, D, the tetragrammaton, Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H, who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. You know, it's creating a moment. God is saying, you believe, I counted that to you as righteousness. And I just want you to, let's just, let's just start from the beginning here a minute. It's me. The God you just put your faith in, it's amazing. When I, you were back in the Ur of Chaldees and I told you to leave and you left, you didn't really have much faith at all. A little bit, but, but now to see you now at 86 years old, and you just are getting to know me enough that the impossible is possible with God. Man, I can remember back to Earth Chaldees. I called you out and I brought you here. And you've been wandering around this land. And everywhere you put your foot is now the uh, land that your kids are going to inherit. This is working out the way I planned it to. And he said, Abraham, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Ah, okay, the faith part, let's throw that out now. Um, you know, let's just say he's a baby in the faith, okay? He's still just, you know, on his 
with his training wheels. He believed God. He just got a lot of other stuff going on that looks a little like unbelief. Um, but, you know, in a very practical way, he has nothing. God has told him, you're not going to have paperwork where you're going to say, hey, I purchased this land. It's mine. I can prove it. The only thing you have to say this is your land is that God told me he gave it to me. You guys need to leave. <laughs> that was it. And so he's like, hey, what's a contract do we have? Now, he tells in those days the way men had contracts. Very strange, but let's read about it in verse 9 through 11. So he, God, said to him, Abraham, bring me a three-year-old heifer, three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two, too small. And when the vultures came down on the carcass, Abram drove them away. So this is something that they did in those times, and it's basically saying this is a sacrifice before God, so to speak, and you keep your half, and I'm going to keep my half. You do what you're supposed to do, and I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, and this is our contract that we cut these animals and did it as a sacrifice as unto the Lord. Later on, interesting, in Jeremiah 34, verses 18 through 20, the Lord tells the children of Israel to do this uh, because they were walking disobedient to make a contract with God by walking through um, these carcasses to, to state that, that they will do what they said they were going to do. So strange as it is, that was the practice of the day. And, you know, every, every country has weirdness in it, right? Every family has weird things in it, you know, and you're going, well, why, why is that? And it's, they explain it to you, and you're going, it sounds just as strange after you explained it to me, right? I remember uh, years ago when McDonald's first went into uh, Germany, do you remember that? They, they wanted forks and knives to eat their meal with, you know, but uh, they said, well, Americans, they just pick it up with their hands. And I thought, my goodness, what are these people in America? A bunch of uh, vulgar heathen over there. And uh, so they had to do commercials showing people picking the hamburger up and eating it uh, with their hands. So eventually the, the Germans and all of Europe caught on to eat a hamburger with your hand, even though everything's falling out and coming out of it. You know, I mean, you think about it, it's sort of a, you know, it's not a really great design, you know, when you really think about it. But uh, either way, it's just the way it is. I, I can't explain it. In verse 12 now, now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, the horror and the great darkness fell upon him. So he's waiting. God said, put, put everything together, and he got it all together, and God's waiting and waiting. The sun, you know, the vultures are trying to get at it, and, and he's having to shoo them away, and he's having to fight to keep the carcass from uh, becoming contaminated. And eventually, the sun went down, and he fell asleep. And, and it was a nightmare. As he's sleeping, horror and darkness fell upon him, dread. And in verse 10, And then he, God, said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs. They will serve them. They will be afflicted. 
They'll afflict them for 400 years. And also the nations whom they serve, I will judge afterwards, and they will come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. And in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven, a burning torch that passed between the pieces. So Abraham is like, I believe God. I, I, now, you remember, God had said earlier, back in chapter 13, hey, you're going to have as many kids as the dust of the earth. Abraham didn't believe it. He didn't rejoice in it. He didn't have great delight in it. Because, yeah, God said it, but it doesn't mean anything. People say all kinds of stuff. But this time when God says it, he's joyful in heart. It says, you know, again, faith, it believes those things that haven't been done as though they've already been done, even though they haven't been done. Because they, they can only see them as done. That's why we say saved. We're not saved into our, in our brand new bodies in heaven. Then we're saved. Are we in our brand new bodies in heaven? No, we're not. But it's as good as already happened. God already sees us seated together with him in heavenly places. And so we would not dishonor God by saying, I think I'm going to be saved. I hope I'm going to be saved. I'm doing everything I know to do to get saved. That, that would be dishonoring when God says he's doing it by his work and he's already done it on the cross. It is finished. And now whoever believes, you'll be with him. So he's rejoicing. Man, I'm going to have so many kids. This is so wonderful. And, and oh, oh, okay. Now, I did, you didn't make a covenant yet, you know. Okay, do, do your covenant thing, Abraham. And Abraham falls asleep. And he's in this horrible nightmare. And in this time, God says to him, yeah, you're going to have a lot of kids, but they're all going to end up in slavery for hundreds of years. And they're going to be tormented and afflicted. And then eventually they're going to leave. And when they leave, they're going to take a great possession with them on their way out the door. And years after you've died, Abraham, they'll come back. And Abraham wakes up and he realizes right there that God had come and gone. That the smoking oven, the burning torch had passed between the two pieces and had left while he was asleep. What was God saying to Abraham? God's discipling Abraham. What did, what did he say back in chapter 15, verse 1? Do you remember? I, don't be afraid, I am your shield. And what's the third thing? I am your great reward. In essence, Abraham, God says, you're going to have many kids as the stars of heaven. Oh, this is so great. I'm so happy. Oh, I've never been so happy. But it's just believing that what God said he's going to do, no matter how impossible it is with man, oh, I'm going to go to sleep. By the way, all your kids are going to be 
enslaved for hundreds of years, not even in this land, in another land. They're going to be horribly afflicted. And after hundreds of years, they're going to come back. Oh, my goodness. Why do you have even, why do you even have kids? I was happy about having kids. Now I'm not happy about having kids. I was thinking it would be great to have so many descendants. But there are, if they're slaves, that's not great. It, it, just, it just totally knocked the edge <laughs> off the joy of the promise of God that he's going to have all these kids. Because all he knows is he's going to have a lot of kids and they're going to end up in a different country as slaves for hundreds of years. What was God saying to him? Abraham, kids will never be your reward. Now, if you've had kids, I'll hear an amen to that. They are as big as a pain as they are uh, joy. And they just break your heart over and over and over again. And, and you just sort of get to the place going, can't this old age thing hurry up and I die so my kids quit hurting me? Um, and, and you realize, you, you get there sooner or later. With kids, you get there sooner or later. You're like, yeah, I got kids. Oh, I got kids. And the Lord says, yeah, I, I'm, I'm your great reward. Oh, thank goodness, not the kids. Because they're not a great reward. They're, they're a white elephant gift, you know. But what's that, hon? I do have great kids. I do have great kids, and they're, they're, still, they're still that way. Even, even, they're still bittersweet. I've got great kids, and they're still bittersweet. But the point is I'm making is that Abraham is being discipled by the Lord to say, get your eyes back on me. You don't need this covenant. You don't need this contract. You don't need to, to say, well, I'm going to get you, God, because you, I only have this many kids, and you said you're going to give me the stars of the heavens. Look at the contract. God's like, you don't need that. And, and you're going to find that what I'm giving you, Abraham, in righteousness, and of course, I doubt Abraham saying he declared me righteous. God just imputed me righteous. I, I doubt he had any joy in that whatsoever. He probably didn't even understand what a gift that was. But that was really the greatest of all gifts. What he should have been rejoicing in more than anything is that God just declared me righteous. But I think that went right over his head. But here now, he's realizing it's nothing on this earth is going to satisfy. Nothing on this earth is going to be my reward. My reward has to be the things of God. But God does something very important here in verse 17. He comes and he walks between the two. Remember him and Abraham are to walk between it together. You keep your part, I keep my part. And God puts Abraham in this deep sleep while he's having nightmares. The Lord walks through it by himself. And he goes on to say in verse 18, on that same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. The Lord made the covenant. Abraham and God didn't make a covenant. See, that's normally the way it works. We made a covenant. But he says, no. <laughs> I'm not going to trust your half to you. Because I know man. 
I love that in John where Jesus says he put his hands into no man because he knew what was all in all men. He put his life into no man's hands for he knew what was in all of men. And here the Lord says, no, my covenant is not going to be between us. It's going to be from me to you. He goes on to say, to your descendants, I've given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates. And then he gives this uh, landmarks uh, around. And, And this is one of many. And they actually change a bit as time goes on. But it goes all the way up to Iraq, all the way up to Egypt, um, and then pretty much where it is in the north, uh, in the Golan Heights, right up to Syria and so forth. The most Israel has ever seen of the promised land was under King David and King Solomon, which is right around 10%. Today, Israel has about 6% of the promised land that God's given them. So they're never going to see all of the promised land until the millennial reign, when we rule and reign with Christ. But it comes back to the point that we know so very, very well. That our righteousness is depend, dependent upon God's covenant towards us, right? It's not about us doing our part and God does his part. And I would say if you went to 99% of Christians in America today, they sort of have that, that mentality. I go to church and God takes me to heaven. I give some money and God lets me into heaven. You know, I try to be good and help out my fellow man and help the poor people starving on the other side of the planet and God lets me in the pearly gate someday. I'm doing my part. I expect him to do his part later on. He's got my fingers crossed and I rabbit's foot in my pocket. I'm trusting God to take me to heaven. And I'll tell you, when you, you've been next to people on their deathbed who really have never believed God for their righteousness. It's a tragedy. You know, my own father, my, it was in, I didn't know at the time was on his deathbed, but uh, my older sister, Judy, called me and said, he's just going nuts. He's afraid he's going to die and, and not make it to heaven. You know, would you talk to him? And she was crying, and, and I just told him the story of the thief on the cross. And I said, what, what did he say dad he just said lord remember me when you come into your kingdom i said do you have that kind of faith dad you can just believe god right now say lord remember me he goes that's about it i said okay then then you're going to be entering to paradise with the lord so it's by faith alone and here the lord is making it clear that It's going to happen, but not because of you, Abraham. In Romans 4, verse 16, it brings up this very point. He says in Romans 4, 16, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, which is a gift, that the promise might be sure. This is the word guaranteed to all the seed. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all. He said God made it of faith because it takes man out of the equation. This is so important because this is how Christianity is so different from all other religions in the world. 
People say, well, how do you know which religion's right? Okay, all religions are men trying to reach God. And they're all basically trying to do it the same way. They're doing it in this religious form. This amount of prayers, this amount of Bible reading, this amount of good works. We all, we all agree together. Try not to commit adultery and fornicate and lie and steal and cheat and et cetera, et cetera. Be an honorable person. Every religion, 85% of every religion is basically on the same thing. Does a Muslim think divorce is wrong? Yes. Does a Mormon think divorce is wrong? Yes. Does a Hindu? They, we all believe being honorable, being a good parent, being a good spouse, being an honest person. And, and then they tie that in to say, this is all that God wants of man, is him trying his best and being sincere and, and he just needs to be as sincere as he can, honest as he can, noble as he can. And, and by these good actions, he's going to reach God, hopefully. Nobody really knows. But I'm a cool guy. God's a cool guy. I'm doing my best. God knows the sincerity of my heart and his story. Doesn't matter. You know, it's like the, the, the wheel and the spokes of the wheel. You know, this spoke may be Jehovah's Witness, this spoke a Mormon, this spoke a Hindu, this spoke a Confucius, this Muslim, but the hub is God. Whatever spoke, you know, it depends on what part of the world you're in. Whatever spoke you go, you're going to end up at the hub God. And, and, you know, it's all basically the same thing. We get to the middle, we're going to find out the, the Christian God was the same as the Muslim God. They just all came to the hub. Guys, we talked about that Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday morning. <laughs> Christianity uh, is, is selective. It can only be through Christ alone, or Christianity is a very evil religion if there is another way. And you can listen to that sermon another time. But um, the point is here, is from the beginning of time, and here we see the first man declared righteous in the Bible, God makes it clear there is a covenant made, but it's not between the two of us. It's all on me. Why, he says here in Romans 4.16, 4, so it's guaranteed. You know what chapter 16 is, guys? It's Abraham going into Hagar and having a child Ishmael. Right off the get-go, his faith wasn't looking very good. Okay, he's first like, how do I know for sure? I mean, you know, I thought you just believed me. That's sort of it, Abraham, didn't you? Well, give me a contract anyway. And then the next thing is, ah, I guess God wants to do this, but he's going to have, wants me to figure it out on my own how to make it happen. It's sort of a mess. So this is why, for example, in Romans 4, or Romans eleven twenty nine, the gifts and the calling of God are what? Irrevocable. 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, doesn't say lacking in faith, struggling with faith. It says we hit the bottom and just all the faith is gone from our ability. What happens? He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. First Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away. Just look at that. Incorruptible, undefilable, does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. How? 
who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. God's got it locked up in his heavenly safe, and he has himself secured it. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast him out. Just coming to him. What did it say in, in John 1, 12? As many as receive me, to them I give the right to become children of God. Now we just see to those who come to him, in, in John 6, 39 to 40, and this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Whoever sees the Son and believes has everlasting life, and I will Raise him up on the last day. John 10, 9. I, I'm noticing that these are some of the same verses I shared Sunday morning for Easter, but I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he shall be saved. Now it's just entering, walking through the door. And I will go in and out, a person will go in and out and find pasture. So believing on him, coming to him, receiving him, just opening the door. <laughs> that is Jesus you're saved. John 10, 27 to 30, my sheep hear my voice. I, I know them. They, know, they follow me and I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given to them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. When Abraham believed God, that's Jesus' sheep now. And Jesus doesn't let go of any of his sheep. And, and the father helps him <laughs> to make sure that nobody is going to get by. If somehow you get around Jesus, you're not going to get by the father. He's greater than all. All the sheep that come to me, all of them will be in heaven. All of them will never be rejected. All of them will be raised up on the last day. None of them shall perish. All of them shall have eternal life. Yes, God made a covenant with Abraham, but clearly based upon his nature and his faithfulness and not upon Abraham's. Well, let's read in chapter 16 here. Now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had bore him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Now, you remember... Back at the beginning, chapter 12, when Abraham went to Egypt, it was wrong. He shouldn't have trusted in the arm of the flesh. He should have trusted in the Lord. He just got into the promised land. There was a famine. He didn't ask God. He didn't get God's direction. He just went down there. Anyway, he, he lied to the Egyptian Pharaoh, but he came back with all kinds of wealth. And one of the wealths he came back with was all these servants. So now this servant has been with them for many, many years. And Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go uh, into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Um, we do have um, writings from the Hammurabi, which um, is, comes from the Ur of the Chaldees. And in the Hammurabi, it actually does state that if a woman can have kids, she can 
have the maid in her place have kids. And when the maid is giving birth, she's down there and opens her legs. And, and it's, as soon as the baby's born, it's taken right into the, the, the master's arms, whatever, uh, as her baby, right between her legs into her arms. So it's her baby. That was the, the way they did it in the Ur of the Chaldees. So she's sort of coming up with this old, uh, the old ways from the land they came from, which was uh, legitimate. And so Abraham's like, uh, you want me to have sex with uh, somebody else? Okay, you know, if, if that's really what you want. Um, I, I don't know if it was uh, all about having kids, and I don't think it was a holy thing, and I don't think it was acceptable in the eyes of God. But this was all uh, worked out on their own without the Lord's direction once again. So in verse 4, he went into Hagar, she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. You know, for all of these decades, she's, we're going to find out at the end of this chapter, uh, Abraham's 86, which would make her 80, or 75, 76. And all of those years, is it Abraham or is it me? Well, now Abraham has a child, and it's her, so to speak. And it would just have been a very overwhelmingly, emotionally depressing moment to realize that you, you're the hindrance. You're the hindrance from having your husband keep from having kids all these years. But then in Sarah, I said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave you my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. And the Lord judged between you and me. So it makes you wonder, did, did she, she now, we know for sure the word of God says Abraham despised, or Sarai despised Hagar. But now Hagar says, oh, the reason I'm upset is because Hagar's despising me. But it makes it seem like maybe she wasn't. But it just, it was a part of uh, the depressing scenario going on in Sarah's mind that she felt that way, whether it was true or not. But from what I can see of Hagar, she was a very honorable woman. And I, I really don't think um, that she did do that. She did despise her. I don't think so. But in verse 6, so Abraham said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dwelt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my maid mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for the multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. Ishmael means um, God hears. Because the Lord has heard your affliction, and he shall be a wild man, or as the New American Standard says, a wild donkey of a man. 
And his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. I, I can't think of a better description of the Arab people than that right there. Um, it's true to this day, isn't it? Um, the, the way the Arabs are, they're fighting with each other and they're hanging out still together in the same location, but they're constantly, um, you know, wild ass of a man just fighting with each other, uh, if not on, with outsiders. And then in verse 13, then she called on the name of the Lord and he spoke to her, you are the God who sees, or El Elroy. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees? Therefore, the well will be called Ber Laroy, Ber Lahiroy, which means um, the well of the one who lives and sees me. Observe it to be between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham, which is going to be important. Going back up to verse 10 there, and the angel of the Lord spoke to her. This is the first usage in the Bible of the word angel. And it's the Hebrew word malach. It can equally be translated messenger, ambassador, representative, but yet, the original translators of the Byzantine text or the King James Bible said, uh, we're going to stay with the word angel. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, and so there's, there's times there where you see the word angel. It can equally, the Hebrew word can equally be messenger, ambassador, representative. All three of the others make more sense than the word angel here. Because as we go on down and we realize, as in many places where we see the word angel in the Bible, and it's God speaking, it then says right after that, and the Lord spoke to her, God spoke to me, uh, saying these things. So Abraham, let's see, he believed God, it was accounted him for righteousness, <laughs> and he then turns around and doubts whether um, God's going to follow through, so he wants to make a contract, well, do my half, you do your half. And God say, hey, you know, he's a, new, he's a new guy. He's a new believer. Uh, you know, I'm just going to baby him here and work with him. I'm not going to count that against him. And then the next thing, as he's walking in this great faith, he starts helping God out by um, having sex with a maid to, to make God's promise come true. Galatians 3.3. 3. Why are you perfecting in your flesh what God is doing by the Spirit? When we are working in the energies of the flesh, we're just messing things up. And we are going to see, just like God said, leave your family, leave your father's house. He took Lot with him. What did he end up doing? He ended up cursing Lot. He ended up cursing his kids. And the, and the kids, the grandkids of Lot, end up being the people that God eventually had to destroy off the earth because he kept attacking Israel. And now this first child of Abraham, Ishmael, is going to become a group of people that are attacking, hating, despising, wanting to genocide all Jews worldwide. To this day, they're doing that. 
So, again, walk by faith, not by sight, right? And don't try to help out God with your fleshly efforts, but to trust in the Lord that he is going to do all that he wants to do. Well, do we have any questions here this evening before we go on to a time of prayer and worship? Yes, Jenny. I, I don't know. I'm, sh- I'm sure that they were somewhere around. I mean, it's just we don't have information on the spiritual realm other than what God gives us. So I'm sure they were probably there as well. But I don't know. Yes? Uh, Noah passed away around 900-something. Noah was 950 years old. Yep. So I'm just I'm just trying to put my feet there. You okay. know, and I and I I heard stories from pastors saying that Abraham could have known uh, uh, Noah even when he was in his fifties. I think it was his kids, Shem. Yeah, his great-grandfather Shem, I believe, would have been 50 years, or would have been alive still when Abraham okay. was born. So I heard something like yeah. That. It's interesting because uh, the whole, that whole, uh, you know, it's word of mouth. Yeah, oral tradition. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, Abraham is going to be live unusually long to 175 years old. He's going to get remarried and have all kinds of other kids. So it's not just through Ishmael. He has all kinds of other kids that don't seem to become people that attack Israel. But yeah, he had six other sons. Good questions. Anything else? Any? It doesn't have to be on Genesis tonight. It can be on some other topic. Yes. Yeah. He only uh, revealed to the fourth generation. Yeah. That when uh, God's going to bring them out of Egypt, but he never bothered to say, hey, you know what? Your kids don't believe in me. Yeah, there's a lot of other depressing things about Israel he could have told Abraham. That's true. I, I always thought, why couldn't he tell him something positive? Hey, let me tell you about Joseph. or... Let me tell you about King David. <laughs> you know, you're going to have a son who's going to be a great king. But he just tells him that little piece of information. It's enough for him to wake up going, ah, I can't, I can't read. My, her- my, her- my, her- my inheritance is not on earth. It's not in children. It's not in my descendants. De- That's not my lineage. My lineage is in the Lord, in heaven. What's that? I said it's also going to be for us. Mm-hmm. Prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Go ahead, Ann. I wonder if the 
Oh, yeah. They have, believe me. I, I had... Uh, I had some Arabs in our church in San Diego. One of them was an elder, preached for me a lot. And boy, he, first time he came to church, I mentioned that, you know, about Israel being God's chosen people. We had a menorah up on the stage, and, and they were a bit offended by that. And, uh, but yet he learned so much. He said, I got to go back and hear that guy again. Maybe that was just a, a week where he did a really good job. Let's try it again. And, in event, and now he loves Israel. I mean, he, he was raised in Jordan, they, he hated the Jews. Now he loves the Jews, now that he knows the word of God. Yeah. Ryan, the progressive revelation of the Islam, would it be also like uh, the, um, when Jesus gives the story of, I give this guy 10 talents, I give this guy mm-hmm. 5 talents, I give mm-hmm. this guy 1 talent, mm-hmm. would it be like, you know, something like that also? That's what I wrote in my notes. I gave an example of the talents. And how would that tie into tonight? And the well, no, just the, the, when you talk, you talk about progressive revelation. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, in my head, I said, oh, okay. The, yeah, I the way I understand that uh, out of uh, Matthew, there, it's it's talking about um, in the millennial reign, we're going to rule and reign with Christ, but I don't think we're all going to rule and reign equally. I think we're going to be rewarded for what works we did unto the Lord to glorify God. We'll have rewards, many crowns. There's diff- many different crowns that people have. And, um, and I think that also the type of body we're going to have, we're going to be resurrected in. I think like Jesus's body is one that just fully glorifies the Father. And I think there'll be some people resurrected in a body that's very much able to soak it in. You know, uh, John Corson always says, it's like some people are going to be like five-year-old kids. They're going to be so happy in heaven. They're going to have their happy meal from McDonald's and they're going to be so happy in heaven's great. And then there's going to be other people that are going to be adults and they're going to be looking at them going, yeah, heaven is great, you know, but they're going to be in a mature uh, realm observing things. Um, and I think that's correct. It says that in, in Romans 8. But um, yeah, so those who have been faithful are, are going to be rewarded um, in the millennial reign. And I, I think it probably through eternity. Yeah, another question. Okay, um, this is John 6, um, 40. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the words of the apostles. He says in John 17, I pray not just for these here, but I pray for those who believe through their words. So when we talk about seeing somebody, it's seeing them by faith. So, I mean, we can see that God exists by all that's created, right? So, but to actually see God, nobody can see God and live. He's infinite. We're finite. We're in sinful bodies. He's perfectly holy. So it's seeing, it's seeing him, the evidences of him. Yeah. yeah, there's a good one. Yeah, as the as they looked at the bronze serpent upon the pole, and they were healed, 
In the same way, the Son of Man upon the cross, whoever looks to him, will be healed. I don't think so. I think that goes back to Catholic tradition. And they still, they still believe that every service when they have mass, it actually means that they are re-crucifying Christ each time. Yeah. That's a different thing altogether, but good stuff. Well, Lord, we thank you for this night. We thank you for these questions. We thank you for this time to look at your word. And Lord, we thank you so much that not any ounce of our salvation is based on us. That you didn't say, I'll do 99%. All you guys have to do is 1% because we know we would not make it. It's like Adam and Eve, just one piece of fruit only you can't eat, and that's the very one they ate. Lord, we know our human nature. And we thank you that salvation is a gift by faith. We trust in you tonight, Lord, by faith. We come to you and we know that all who believe on you shall have eternal life. All who come to you and, and say, Lord, as our revelation now, our progressive revelation, we know it's to look to you on the cross and thank you for paying for our sins and, and uh, the reality of our sins being paid for through your resurrection from the dead. And we just uh, believe tonight. And I just come to, right now, I just, I see so clearly how we, just like Abraham, can try to perfect in our flesh what you're doing by your spirit. We want to be a part of all that you're doing in our lives, in our world, in our community, in our church, by the power and the working of your spirit. Mm.